What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode where we are once again joined by Ben. If you haven't already, go watch our first episode with him, episode 17, as we reference a lot of topics from it. We discuss anchor bias, how it plays a role in both the stock market and our personal lives, and ways to alleviate it. Don't forget to leave a review or a like if you enjoyed. All right, welcome back to the show, Ben. Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, of course. So uh, today, I guess we're going to talk like a little bit about psychology and behavioral finance. Wait, first of all, this is your this is our first episode after our rebranding. So it's an honor to have you on this first episode, um, by the way. I don't know if you're familiar that we rebranded. Um, we just released the, Spodca- uh, the Spotify episode actually this morning. Um, so we're now Manifest Your Success. Do you have any thoughts on that? Wow, Manifest Your Success. Uh, what's behind the name change? Uh, well, if you listen to the podcast, you can find out. <laughs> Um, but it's basically just like we're we're trying to go more broader terms um, and not just like strictly finance. Like we have a lot of people on and we talk a lot, a lot about like entrepreneurship and we dive into like tangents sometimes. And it's like it's not super strictly just finance. So um, we just we're just trying to broader like our brand so we can reach out to more people. Um, more like a self-help thing. I'm excited <laughs> to be on the first episode. Yes, sir. <laughs> well, yeah. So today, actually, we're going to ironically, we're going to be talking more about finance today and uh, behavioral economics. And most people don't really know the term like behavioral economics, um, but it's more like a blend of economics and psychology, which, which I think psychology is everywhere and it can really blend um, in any field, whether it be like um, math or anything. So um, what, 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 how would you define like behavioral economics? Like what, do you, what is it to you, Ben? Yeah, so humans in nature are subjective. We are not objective with our decisions there is always some emotion or bias that influences them. So behavioral economics is essentially the study of how our uh, subjective biases and emotions influence the decisions we make in daily life and the financial decisions we make. Yeah, that's, that's a great, great point. And I mean, a lot of people aren't like aware of like the fact that like there's so many thoughts that like we aren't conscious of. And like, unless if you don't do the research and you don't understand these theories that we have as humans, then you're not going to realize it. And then you might like get down because of it, or you might have, have a downfall. And that's what, that's what we're here to talk about because we don't want anyone, if you don't, if you're not aware of these terms like anchor bias, which we're going to get into later in the show, um, then you're not going to be aware. If someone tries to pull anchor bias on you and you're buying a car and you fall for it, then you're out whatever thousands of dollars. When, if you could have just reframed your, your thought process, then you might've been able to do it. Um, but are you familiar with Richard Thayer, the founder? Um, no, I'm not actually. Okay. Yeah. So actually, um, I'm glad that we're doing this topic right now because I'm actually reading a book, um, right now called misbehaving. Um, I'll probably link, we'll probably link that in the show notes for anyone that wants to read. It's basically, he just talks about, it's literally a whole like 350 page book on behavioral economics. And he talks about how, um, I'm going to, I'm going to get these first words wrong, but he he was studying some work of K. Nenman and Tversky's work. And they did a lot like into quote unquote behavioral economics. It wasn't established as behavioral economics back then. Um, he, he did a lot of work on them. And then he framed this term um, mental accounting, which really, I think, like summarizes what behavioral economics is. Like if you hear the word behavioral economics, you're like, OK, those are two big words that I don't know a lot about. But if you sum it down to mental accounting, like it's super simple. Um, so basically, he just like he, he studied this research um, and then he framed this term and he's wrote a bunch of papers about it. And basically, this book just talks about him going through the process. Um, of how he discovered it and then like all these terms and whatnot. 
Awesome. Yeah, um, so that sounds great. That sounds great. Yeah, it's sounds a great like book. book. I have to read. Yes, it is a great book. I mean, it, it dabbles into like more like it, it establishes like what behavioral economics is like the first like part of the book. And then it dives into a lot more applications, which is nice. Like I'm in a section right now where it's talking about like uh, stock markets and movements like mm -hmm. that. So it's really a broad, like it's great read. You can really learn a lot from it. Um, but I guess let's go ahead and get into anchor bias. You wanna... Yeah. So Ben, how would you define anchor bias? Yeah. All right. So I have a few examples here. Um, let's start with a pretty straightforward one. So let's say it's Black Friday. You're going into a mall and you want to buy a shirt. Nice shirt like the one I'm wearing right now. Okay. Um, so picture two, uh, two different situations. The first situation, you walk into the store. You see the price tag is $30 for a shirt that you like. So you might think, okay, I like this shirt. I want to buy it. But $30 is a little too much. I'm willing to spend $20 on this shirt, right? And then in the second example, you see the same shirt um, and the price tag is $70, right? So you think the same thing. I like this shirt. 70 is a, a little too much to spend for a shirt. I'm willing to spend $50 though. You know, it's a nice shirt. So why were you willing to spend $50 versus $20 the second time? It's because of the $70 anchor that was, you know, put into your head by the price tag. Now, all you can think about is no matter what price the store gives you, not only will you think it's expensive, but because of anchoring, you'd be willing to pay a lot more for the same shirt. It doesn't even matter if the anchor is reasonable. This is called the anchoring effect. You know, unless the shirt is many, many thousands of dollars, if you like it, you're going to have the same emotional reaction where you think the price is just a little too high, but you'd be pay willing to pay just below it, right? So, so now let's look at another example. This is a slightly different application of it, but it's the same, uh, same sort of idea behind it. So let's say I asked you guys without using a calculator, what is one times two times three times four times five times six times seven times eight? Kyle, um, go ahead. I would guess 212. It's a lot higher than that. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. 2000 something, I don't know. Okay, good guess. Now, so there was a study done where they asked this question to one group of people, and then they asked the second group of people, eight times seven times six times five. Uh, so it's the same problem, but starting from the top down. So now what actually happened in the study was the people uh, who started from the top, their average guess was around 2000. And the people who started from the bottom, their guess was around Kyle's. It was around 500, 512. Um, so I wasn't even near that, but yeah, <laughs> thanks. Thanks for that. You were within a magnitude. <laughs> so, you know, why were these guesses so wildly different? You know, that's like four times larger than the other one. It's because of the anchor that was planted into your head. So when we make estimations as humans, the first thing we see is, okay, well, eight times seven is 56. And then I have, you know, six more numbers after that. So, you know, let's, let's think of a big number around 2000, right? Now as for the second one, where you have one times two times three, well, one times two times three is already six. And you've used up a third of your numbers and you're only at six. So you think, oh, well, how big can this number really be? You know, in reality, the answer is actually over 40,000. So both of these were very, very off, but that shows you that uh, your guess is always going to be near your anchor. And because your anchor was relatively small compared to this 40,000 number, uh, your minds are biased and they don't actually adjust as much as they need to, at least. Right. Yeah, that's crazy. I never thought about that experiment. I've, they touch a lot mm -hmm. on those studies, like in like experiments that they ask questions, whatnot, but they haven't. It's, that's crazy. I guess I need yeah, to go memorize my factorials. 
it's the same thing in real life. You know, if you look at how much uh, money the Federal Reserve is spending, they're spending at, at one point in 2020, they were spending trillions of dollars a week. And, you know, we see these numbers and we think, oh, well, they only spent two trillion this week. They spent three trillion last week. You know, something must be going wrong. You know, we don't think about the actual magnitudes of the numbers that we're looking at. Right. And I, I want to touch on something, too. Now that you mentioned the Fed, like um, I was listening to someone talk about it and they were talking about how the Fed like wants inflation. Like there's this narrative where they they do want um, like obviously yeah, have like a two percent target. Yeah, that's they, they want the two percent target. But as far as like the fact that they just printed a bunch of money and um, for like the people that analyze like the Fed and like their, their balance sheet, if inflation is going higher and they just printed a bunch of money, they need the the cpi and inflation to keep going up because their balance balance sheet is going to look like a less percentage of gdp so say so say for example they they printed all this money and inflation doesn't go anywhere their balance sheet is is off whatever trillions in debt but if gdp doesn't inflate as much as the money that they printed then they're going to look really bad and they they really care about their reputation right now sorry to interrupt yeah so the amount of money they spent is the same either way but the only difference is, is it a higher fraction or lower fraction of GDP? So, you know, for a computer, the number is one and the same. But for us people, when we see this, you know, percentage of GDP, we think, oh, they're spending way too much or way too little. And we don't actually look at the reality. Right. Right. So yeah. just going into history a little bit, it was discovered in 1974 by yet another experiment. So there were two groups of people and they had to spin this wheel of fortune where all the slices on it were either 10 or 65. And then he split the, the people into two groups. The ones that spun 65 had to guess uh, how many African countries or how what percentage of the UN uh, was African countries. And then the group that had 10, they had to guess the same thing. So the group that uh, spun 65, they guessed that 45% of uh, the UN was made up of African countries. And the group that spun 10 on the wheel, they guessed that only 25% of the UN was made up of African countries. In reality, the number is right around 50%, right? And I'm sure that if you asked both of these groups before they spun the wheel, what percentage they thought, they would have both said around, you know, 30, 40, maybe they would have been a lot closer to the answer. And, you know, that's another example of an anchor. So we have this number, you have this number 10 in your head. And when you're told to make a, a guess that you may not, you know, exactly know, it's always going to be around that anchor that's in your head. Yeah, so I'm curious, like, do you have any examples of this that uh, pertain to like the stock market or investing? Because I'm sure yeah. there are plenty. Absolutely. So, you know, for those of you who don't know, I manage my own trading group for about two years now. And one thing that I've noticed is that when people have a red day, their chances of having another red day uh, the next day are way higher than 50%. So that's why you usually see streaks of green days or streaks of red days. You know, I'm sure we've all seen this in our portfolios um, because, you know, like, why is that really? It should really only be a coin toss or whatever. But because of uh, our mental game, we, we are either coming in confidently or not confidently. And that, you know, really can impact us. As a trader, we want to be objective, but biases essentially stop us from being objective. Um, so... For, for a more specific example, let's say you have uh, a strategy that's very, very accurate, right? Let's say 80% accuracy, uh, three to one risk to reward, which I mean, for those of you who aren't familiar, this is like a godly strategy right here. Not very realistic. 
Um, but let's say you had one day where you lost $1,000 with the strategy, right? Now you're upset. You're thinking, well, this strategy wins every day. Why did it not win for me yesterday? You know, um, And that's going to be stuck in your head. That's going to be stuck in your head the next day. You're going to be thinking, well, what if it doesn't work anymore? What if, you know, three to one risk to reward is, is way too much for me? What if, you know, I have to start changing things up when you're not trading with your full confidence and all you're worried about is being green the next day and you're not waiting for the trade to mature. That is how you lose money. That's how you get into these streaks of red days. And, you know, as traders, it's our, essentially our obligation to not get stuck in these emotional, uh, emotional wrecks, essentially not tilt. Wow, that's I mean that makes complete sense. Um, <clears throat> I guess on the topic of biases, so that like we've been taking talking about anchor bias, but um, like you see all the time in trading is like confirmation bias, right? So, <clears throat> sorry, got a little cold here. <clears throat> all right, so like in t- technical analysis, right? Some people believe, some people think it works, some people think it doesn't. I I think it's like a little bit of both, and Oftentimes, people who are trying to start using technical analysis is it just turns into purely confirmation bias, right? So if you draw like a if you draw two lines and it it breaks the two lines exactly how you thought it would, and then it goes like a lot of times that's because um, like you think your strategy works because you saw it happen, right? You saw the evidence supporting it, but it's it's all just chance because it it could happen anyways. There could be another reason causing it, which makes you think it'll happen every time in the future. And I think that's a lot of the downfall of like people trying to get into like trading or whatever is because they think they have a strategy that works when in reality, it's it just coincidence. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, I'm sure all of us trade patterns, you know, triangles, wedges, bull flags, bear flags. So when we're told, let's say that a bull flag breaks up, that doesn't mean that it always breaks up. It's not guaranteed. It's like an 80% chance or whatever. I don't know what the number is off the top of my head. So, you know, when someone sees this, they're like, okay, well, the last four bull flags have broken up. Why don't I go 100x long here? You know, <laughs> all it takes is one time when you're leveraged like that or when you're too confident for you to get totally wiped. So, you know, confirmation bias, anchor bias is the same story there where you have to be objective. You have to know the facts. Nothing is, uh, nothing, uh, is ever 100% in trading, basically, especially right. technical analysis. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Also, touching more on like stocks in general too. Um, like say for example, it's kind of a, a blend of both of them. So say for example, you you come across a stock and whatever. Let's just I, actually I don't want to choose a real stock. Um, let's call it ABC stock. And um, so we come across ABC stock, and you just like you first discover it, and you see this news, and they're like, oh, we plan to cure all cancers, and that is just like an anchoring like news in your in your frame, and you now you invest in ABC stock and then every years from years from now, you're still investing, but all you're thinking about is the first news that you saw about the stock. And like, it was so good. And then any other bad news you see about the company, you just kind of discredit it because you saw this good news. Cancer. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you're like, Oh, this is such a good company. Like, Oh, they're definitely doing everything perfect because they're trying, they're going to fix cancer. They told me this and they're definitely doing it. And, but at the same time, they could be doing a lot different things and a lot worse things like financially. And if you just have the straight mindset about the first news of this stock, then it's not going to, it's not going to be successful long-term for multiple companies. I mean, you might yeah. get lucky with ABC stock, but it's not going to work with multiple. 
Yeah. So, I mean, even looking at crypto, all of us here are very, very bullish on crypto and blockchain tech and all that, right? So we know the future, we know uh, what it holds, um, but that doesn't mean that we only have to long, you know, we can still play both sides and playing both sides is the key to, you know, being more objective, you know, understanding that, yes, this technology is super, super powerful. However, there might be some more downside here, you know, like Tesla selling its shares or whatever, you know, whatever's happening in the world. Um, and, you know, I I can name off the top of my head a bunch of really, really good uh, traders on Twitter that have gotten stuck in this bias. And, you know, they've really let that uh, be their downfall. So I don't know if you both, uh, do you guys, have you guys heard of Crypto Capo? Mm -hmm. I have not. Please inform. He's like yeah, a top trader. Missing much. Oh. Basically, he shorted crypto almost perfectly from the top earlier this year. Um, and he did really, really well there. That's how he gained a lot of traction on Twitter, actually. Um, but he had this, he held this narrative even after the market turned earlier this month. You know, he's still saying the bottom is not in, the bottom is not in. That's why we see, you know, all these people calling for 5K, 10K Bitcoin, which may or may not come, but it doesn't matter. Right? So he got trapped in this mindset of the down there. And he essentially got more entrenched in his anchor because of it. You know, I've made bank shorting before, so I should make bank shorting in the future. So that's an example of confirmation bias. Yeah, that's a great point. And it's, it's good like to be aware of the news that comes out and not just think, oh, everything's going to be the same just because this first thing happened and it was true. Exactly. I think it's also like super, super easy to get attached to positions like way over the top, um, especially if something's making you money. You're gonna want. You're not gonna want to let go of it, and you're gonna want to stay in it, so that it makes you more money. So it's harder to let something like that go, and you kind of lose sight of what's actually happening. Yeah, I'm sure we've all bag held stocks in here. Oh, for you know, sure. Neo, I still have some Neo in my portfolio. Uh -huh. Go back up one day, but you know that doesn't change the reality that I wasn't profit. I got too greedy. I I kept my narrative even after it. You know, objectively stopped working after the stock stopped going up. Um, and you know, I let that kind of. Uh, lose me a lot of money uh also just for the listeners abc stock i just looked it up amera virgin corporation they do in fact not cause or cure cancer so oh this is a real company oh yeah. shoot oh yeah that was not financial advice i didn't mean to <laughs> reference their company <laughs> imagine they announced like later they're like switching to a healthcare company then in that case in only that case that was definitely financial advice. in that case <laughs> first year folks <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, back to crypto, another example is Plan B, another really, really famous uh, crypto account on Twitter. Um, so he he was essentially, he embraced the stock to flow model. Uh, he was one of the earliest people, honestly. And his inability to abandon stock to flow after it stopped working, you know, after Bitcoin deviated from that model was essentially the end of him. You know, he's still stuck in that bias after it's clear that you know, Bitcoin's not going to 10x after every cycle just because it has in the past. You know, that's not realistic. <clears throat> and I guess what what both of these examples show is that there's a line between conviction and getting caught up in anchor bias. And it's important for us traders to find that line and, you know, to understand it, not to go all in. You know, that's why we say to diversify and to be as objective as we possibly can as humans. Right. That's a great point. And I think it even carries over like into like personal relationships too. And like, especially sales, like, uh, like a huge amount. I mean, I, I've, I've known like a few people that work at car dealerships, like at my current job. 
and uh they talk all about like psychology and like that also the uh, this is kind of irrelevant but it's it's not related to anchor bias but they talk about um how i forget the name of the theory maybe you can fill me in on it um where you if you ask them like oh, okay did you want this color car did you want this red color car did you want four seats did you want a coupe and they're like yes 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 and then you finally get to the question where you're asking them about the money value and they're more likely to say yes because you've asked them all those questions before mm, interesting i don't know the name of that but i have heard about that before yeah it's interesting I, yeah, you know another example of how things kind of just stay in your head and you know that's the reason us humans are behavioral i guess and that's why behavioral economics exists in the first place it's because we're subjective in nature right right and it's good to like be aware of of what these terms are so then if you are in a situation where someone tries to pull the anchor bias on you and says oh this car's forty thousand dollars when it's really only worth twenty thousand just to get you to pay thirty thousand for it and if you don't know what what he was doing then you're going to be out of luck and out of ten grand that you shouldn't have been <laughs> yeah exactly I hope you don't do that to people at your car dealership job. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't work for a car. I would never work for a car. De- I don't think I would. I, I thought about doing that actually. And I was like, actually, I don't like <laughs> the way this, this has worked. If I honestly, if I did, it would be Tesla because Tesla, they, they're like one of the, only, I think they're the only company car company that owns their actual dealerships. Yeah. They and don't they, have actual dealers and not right. to mention they do most of their sales online where, you know, prices are pretty fixed. Yeah, that would probably be the only dealership I would work at, just to get a Tesla too. <laughs> um, also, I saw the other day in Discord you you were talking to someone about anchor bias, and you related it to the price of Bitcoin. So I'd be curious, like you could use that example, but like how does that apply to like the actual price of an asset and how you anchor like a certain price in your um, mind? Yeah. So, so for let's. Let's look at an example. You know, Bitcoin hit a high of twenty thousand dollars last cycle in twenty seventeen. I still remember those those days. Um, so, for a lot of people, that was their anchor. You know, when in twenty twenty, Bitcoin had its run from like you know, four digits all the way to twenty k. That's when everyone became profitable, and that's when a lot of people were like, "Okay, this is the top." You know, we're gonna double top here or whatever because their anchor was twenty thousand dollars from last time, right? Um, it's, it's going to be the same thing with, uh, 70 K when we hopefully do go back up, um, because we have these numbers fixed in our heads and as humans, you know, we have nothing else to, to reference. We just have, oh, it went this high last time. So it will or will not go this high in the future again. Yeah. Um, I feel like that also in the same way. So like since 70,000 was the, the peak. Um, now like you relate what it could go to the next cycle to 70,000. So you think, oh, it only went to 70,000 last time. So maybe it won't go higher than 80 or 90,000 this time when reality it could go, who knows how high it's not like specifically related to that, that specific peak. Bitcoin to 1 million. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, that's basically stock to flow model is based off of this historical data, which, you know, if you ask me historical data before any fortune 500 company bought bitcoin is pretty irrelevant now because you know it's not gonna it's not gonna be nearly as volatile now when you have these big players in it who are accumulating and distributing and looking at this data from back when there were only you know like thousands of bitcoin holders is you know that doesn't really matter today and that's in my opinion that's why the stock to flow model doesn't work anymore just because market conditions have totally changed since it was created right so i'm curious like this is more like a general question so um i was talking to some uh 
someone I met and they were talking about how like in investing, you can only rely on past like um, news. You can only rely on past models and past experiences to judge what's going to happen in the future, because that's all we have to work with. Like you, you have not like everything in the, in, in the past is controlling our future. But then at the same time, people are like, okay, don't rely just because it happened once doesn't mean it's going to happen again. And just because it didn't happen before, it doesn't mean it's not going to happen again or not going to happen in, in, at all. I mean, so yeah, what do you, performance doesn't guarantee future results. That's what all the hedge funds say in their ads. Exactly. Do you, do you have like any, like, how, how do you think someone should frame like their thought process as far as like balancing? Okay. History, history is helpful to like make predictions, but at the same time, we can't rely on it so much. Like what, how would you, what would you say to someone? Yeah. So history can, you know, mean a lot of different things. If you're looking at the history of Apple stock, that may very well be valid because Apple has been, you know, a steady, it's been getting steady growth. It's been having steady, you know, fundamental earnings reports and all that. And it's been around for a while, right? Now, where, whereas if you look at Bitcoin, like I said, uh, because in the past it was so different from where it is today, essentially, and, you know, now it's all over the news. Everyone knows about it. Everyone's buying it. Everyone's selling it. You know, that past performance doesn't give you much because, it was a, it was basically a totally different asset back then from what it is today. Yeah, that's a great point. And like uh, the way like we realize that it's different is because like we see all these things in the news and like the, all these companies and institutions trying to get in on it. And that's what really if you personally, I wasn't involved in crypto back back then. Um, so I don't really know what the atmosphere was like as far as like on Twitter and like just the community in general. But I, I can't like just from what I hear from other people saying like yourself, like there's a, it's a whole different community and like everyone is so invested in this technology. And it's like, if, if it gets another, another bull run and it gets some more momentum, I just don't see how, how everyone's just going to throw all their money into this, this project and this technology. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and if you look at people who have missed out on Bitcoin in the past, you know, either they were too late or they never bought it. Uh, they're still bearish to this day because they think, you know, well, if I didn't get to make money on it, why should other people get to make money on it? You know, and even if they don't realize that, that's just inherently what they think because human psychology works in that way. Right. That's a good point. Um, I wanted to touch like on like how how you think that as like people, we can like become less prone to falling for these like anchor biases and you know, confirmation biases and biases in general. Um, are you familiar like with the terms acquisition utility and transaction utility? Uh, no, I'm not. Okay. Okay. So this is, I'll, I'll, I'll touch on this and then maybe you can share your thoughts on it. Sure. Um, so uh, this, the book mentioned it and it just sort of generalizes, generalizes like what you should be thinking about when you're making a transaction. So um, for acquisition utility, it just refers to like the economic or the financial gain um, or loss to a situation. So if, if you're whatever situation you're in, you should always think about the acquisition utility. If you're driving to the, whatever baseball game and you spend $80 on a ticket and you got to spend $20 on gas and whatever, $10 on a hot dog. That's the acquisition utility. And, <laughs> and you, you spent, what is that? Um, $110 for the baseball game. So any, any like situation you need to think, okay, is this, this is how much money I'm spending for this event. And if you, you should always be thinking about that no matter what. So that's acquisition utility. And then transaction utility, it refers to like the pleasure or the displeasure out of it. So say, for example, you go to the, you go to the game and you spend $110 and say 
you're you really enjoy baseball games it's your favorite thing to do and you love hot dogs so you're you're willing to spend ten dollars on it and your your transaction utility is a lot higher than one hundred and ten dollars so you are going to make that purchase purchase as a rational economist um so for example or you could do if you don't like baseball games i hate baseball games and i love going to soccer games and I spent 80, I want, I'm about to spend $80 on a baseball ticket, but it's not going to be higher than the utility that I, I valued it at, then you probably shouldn't go to that baseball game. And I feel like that's a good thing, good way to think about every transaction you have, um, whether it be like financial or just everyday life. Yeah, absolutely. Because when you put a value on it before, you know, you, you go to the game and you see how much it costs, uh, you, you kind of, that's, that's the best way for us to be objective, you know, is to set a price for ourselves before we see what price they want to charge us because then you know if you walk into if you walked into that mall back to my first example and you went okay i have 40 dollars to spend if i find something i like that's less than that i'll buy it if i find something i like that's more than that i'm not going to buy it that's how you know that's the best way you can get rid of any biases that you might have when you already walk into the mall um and yeah i mean back to what you were talking about before best way to uh kind of rid yourself from any anchor bias is you know not only to like i said to set objective prices for yourself before you see what they want to charge you the best way for trading specifically is to take breaks so you know that's why for me after i i have red days too i'm sure everyone has red days after i have like one or two red days you know i i won't look at charge for a week or whatever you know it, it doesn't really bother me um i understand i i've kind of learned to understand that there's no point in pushing it if you need to take a break for a day or a week or even like a month, that's totally fine because it's better to not make money at all than to lose money back to back to back. Um, and then one last lesson that I want to leave for everyone is be careful of becoming a product of a narrative that you created because that's what Capo did. That's what Plan B did. When you create a narrative that worked in the past, but you get entrenched in that to the point of no return, that is when you basically make it impossible for yourself to be successful. That was, that was a great quote. Mm -hmm. That was awesome. Definitely, definitely going to be a clip, <laughs> but yeah, you made, you made a great point. Like just make sure, first of all, like make sure you're informed and then make sure like the break point is, is so like in the book, they were talking about how, okay, say, say, you know what the anchor bias is and you go in and someone tries to use anchor bias on you just literally like he, the, the way he recommended it. And I think it's valid is walk out of the meeting and then come back and be like, okay, tell me a different answer. And just forget that he even said that answer and just be like, you offered me $40,000 for a 2012 Nissan with 80,000 miles on it. I'm not buying that. So just walk out and then reframe your mind and be like, okay, this is a new, this is a new, whatever number. I have nothing on the table here. And then go ask him again and see if, see if it comes down. If it doesn't come down, then obviously you need to think about who you're buying a car from. Um, exactly. but, yeah, totally. Cause when you, <laughs> When you stop making the snap decisions and you take a second to, you know, relax and, and actually think about it and use your objective side as opposed to your subconscious side, that is when you can maximize your ability to make a good decision. Yeah, that's a great point. And especially like even if you're shopping in the mall or something and you see a sale and it's like, okay, buy one, get one 50% off or buy one, get one free even. But if it's a list, like if it's $20 for like a, a couch pillow or something and you don't value that. Back to what I was saying um, about um, acquisition utility. If you don't value that couch pillow as more than ten dollars, then if you wish, you shouldn't buy that pillow because it's not worth more than ten dollars to you. Yeah, um, exactly. Or being another example, 
let's say let's say you're shopping for hats you only need one hat but they have a buy one get one 50% off you're going to still end up spending 50% more money than you otherwise would have you know you can only wear one hat at once i don't know i don't know how many hats a person needs but you know if you were only coming in to buy one hat and they got you with that sale uh, you know that's when that's when you you got screwed i guess yeah, that's a great point coming from my brother who had had like 20 hats on the wall at one point, just like hanging up. And I'm like, dude, why do you know those hats? <laughs> what were you going to say? I was just going to say, I'd, I'd take that $10 hot dog over a $20 couch pillow. <laughs> <laughs> well, it would be, it would be two couch pillows for $20. If I, it was I would never buy a couch pillow. <laughs> Did you, I mentioned misbehaving um, as a book. Do you have any other like, like mis, uh, um behavior economics books that you recommend or? Articles or, or any other look at my shelf. Um, Accelerate is a great book. Wonderful, wonderful book. Um, I it's not directly related to that, but it's absolutely a must read. I think we should do a book swap after we both finish these books. Dude, I'm ready. What you come you come back to school like in the end of the month, right? August. Yeah, August 10th. August. 10th. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm totally down, man. I got I got a bunch to switch with you. <laughs> Awesome. We'll have to touch base, dude. For the pod, guys. This was amazing. Yeah, this was awesome. Definitely love to have you back on. I mean, there's so many other like behavioral economics things like sunk costs or the halo effect or decoy effect that that you could we could just dive into and talk about in general. Yeah, bro. Send me a list of some things and I'll I'd love to take a look and you know tell you what I'm interested in. Okay, sweet. Yeah, I will we'll do that. Appreciate you having on. We're not financial advisors. Anything we discuss may be financial or is for entertainment purposes. (laughs) Do your own research.